Each week, nearly a dozen movies are released theatrically. 40 films a month, more than 400 a year. That's a plethora of cinema. Too much cinema. You'd have to be an addict to see all that. But don't fret. We've got you covered. This is Cinematics. Welcome to Cinematics, episode 192. Today on the program, we're going to talk to you about the movies that are worth checking out for June 2nd, which is in a few days. What's up, fellas? I'm Anderson. I blab about films here and there. That's Greg Strzavosti. He's uh, a Teen Choice Award uh, recipient and uh, (laughs) voter. And there's Eric Holmes, who I was just talking about on the Patreon um, episode. However, you're probably never going to hear it, Eric, or any of your Patreon members are probably ever going to hear it because it was... uh, it, it was rife with love and uh, respect, and Greg promised me that he'd be uh, eliminating that from the actual feed. So he's going to be <laughs> oh, man. scissoring that out. But I uh, like hey, love and respect. It's always nice. Good to see you guys. It's been too long. I miss you, and uh, thanks for having me on your show. Oh, oh, wow, well, yeah. Look here. Speaking of it, you mentioned Patreon, and since I'm a glad hander, we just Anderson, you and I just completed our Patreon number fifty. We con- we did life, the life and death of Colonel Blimp. Anderson and I disagreed. He, he gave it uh, six point nine oh, like, stars. Let, let people discover that. Okay, six point nine stars. We'll see. We'll see. But that's a movie. That's a movie. It's Michael Powell and Eric Pressburger. Have you ever heard of that movie? Eric Holmes, The Life and Death 19, of Colonel Blimp. Nineteen forty three. Not until earlier today when I asked you what movies you were covering, and you told me, and I was like, "Cool, never heard okay. of it." Maybe, maybe I'll check it. it out. Maybe I won't. I'll listen to the Patreon. You will listen to the Patreon when you put it up. We also uh, we also covered Sanshiro Sagata, which is uh, Akira Kur- uh, Kurosawa's very first film, uh, de- directorial debut from 1943. So, so both of them, we they actually lent themselves to pretty fun discussions. And believe it or not, there is that might have been our most. Uh, mm. we we had different either crisscross ever, Greg. Because a lot of time, you know, I, you and I uh, line up on a movie, or you love both, and I like neither. Or but this this time it was it was quite the crisscross like we might have met at the apex there but uh yeah it was interesting it was a good discussion next month and we're going to cover the year 1970 we're going to there's going to and we're going to complete that full circle loop of this first chapter in our patreon then we have some big news where our patreon will be going after next month some big news from anderson cowan a lot of interesting stuff to be had but before we get to our movies let's talk about some interesting stuff with anderson cowan we have i haven't seen you in a month buddy we and we just we, we didn't talk about personal stuff with Patreon. we just talked about I the know, patreon. we got into scholarly stuff how are you personally are you are you loaded for bear what else are you loaded for are the there podcast that, yes relationships are so weird because you know so many of my friends are the people that i do podcasts with but it the nature of the business is like we probably wouldn't have any time to talk at all if it wasn't for this show but then when we have this show we don't have time to talk about anything other than the show so we have very little time to catch up and it's, it's a shame uh, i have time for eric of course eric and i uh, caught up just a couple days ago we were on the phone for quite some time but okay. uh sorry greg i don't I, have I, I don't have time for both of you other than the show but that's can can i strike that should i edit that out eric holmes that, that's horrible no okay, no, no keep it in it was lovely it, it's thanks like for the uh, coming all at me and i love it Thanks for the loaded for bear uh, uh, plug there, and yes, it's coming. Loaded for bear, the doc is coming along. Uh, we're we're continuing to produce and shoot stuff, uh, even though I'm still uh, gearing up to get uh, all of the releases so that we can do this um, quite officially. I actually have a meeting with all of the parents uh, for those who might just be tuning in for the first time, which uh, which is great. You know, welcome to the program. But uh, I am producing a um, documentary uh, called loaded for bear the documentary that's the working title it might end up be called being called born to act uh, but it's uh, essentially 
documenting my uh, involvement with his acting group that I found a few years ago that is made up comprised of mentally challenged adults, or we don't even call them mentally challenged adults, people with intellectual disabilities or people with disabilities. It's constantly changing, but uh, these are people that have Down syndrome or are on the spectrum and they want to perform, they want to act, and some of them are damn good actors some of them are sags uh, and it's about this woman named mary rings who runs the uh program she has been for almost 30 years now she's coming up on her 30 year anniversary and she does two classes a week in person and i'm an official assistant at the thursday class uh with my six-year-old atticus he and i are are deeply um embedded with this group they're all dear friends of ours we love it it's our favorite time of the uh, most weeks is our favorite time is the two hours we spend at this class and she, mary is so impressive the way that she runs this thing there's no breaks uh it's we're doing shakespeare, shakespeare one second the improv the next we're reciting uh, our favorite movie lines and um it's the growth and the the talent and the characters. It's just the best. So uh, I'm making a documentary showcasing them, showcasing the uh, the benefits of, of volunteering, which I am a big advocate for, as well as the behind-the-scenes look at what it takes to make an independent movie, which this is all kind of based around because I'm trying to get a, a – uh actual big budgeted movie not big budget but big budgeted for independent movie like you know a million plus uh movie off the ground that is going to include a lot of these actors that's how i found these actors to begin with was uh, my producer joe dorville uh found this group for me and i went and checked them out and i just never left so we're making a documentary about that and we're fundraising and you can find out more about it at loadedforbeardoc.com loadedforbeardoc.com and uh, we're doing quite well we're doing quite well so far Anderson, I meant to ask you last time you were on, what does loaded for bear mean? It means somebody who is ready. Well, I mean, I think technically it means you have the weaponry to go out and kill a bear, right? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And uh, the term, as I've heard it, you know, the phrase that's been uttered, I've heard it my whole life. I don't remember where I first heard it, but it's pretty much means like I've, I've had enough and I'm going to, you know, take a stand. I'm loaded for bear. I'm ready to get some, get some vengeance. That guy's loaded for bear. Careful. Ben just walked in the door and he's loaded for bear. That means you want to avoid Ben because he's pissed. I dig it. I and dig that is it the, a lot. That's the name of my lead character in the uh, scripted uh, movie, uh, independent movie that this is kind of all about. It's all leading to uh, this this um, script that I wrote a long time ago. Greg read a very early version of it, and it's written from my it. own experiences from working with a mentally challenged uh people with uh with uh challenges with uh intellectual disabilities uh that i've been doing for since i was a teenager um so yeah it's it's all it all makes sense it's all great and what i was starting to say is sunday night this coming sunday i have a meeting with upwards of 80 parents of the parents of the actors that are in one of the one or both of these classes that um, i attend each week and i don't know the parents i know a lot of the actors from working with them but i don't know the parents there a lot of time they're in the back of the room watching or they drop their kids on and off uh, up and pick them up i've never met them and i'm going to be telling them why i'm in there with cameras my carano is shooting uh, most of the classes these days and i'm going to um let them know what uh what we're up to which could go could go great could go i'm, I'm anticipating some people you know give me the side eye going like why are you shooting video of my child who has special needs wow that's going to be a big speech a lot of a very big meeting on sunday anderson before we get to a couple of your personal film picks for this week are, my final question to you is were you surprised at how this experience has really enhanced atticus's life that must mean a lot to you 
I don't know how it has yet, uh, but I have to imagine it has in some respect. And it's one of my favorite parts of the story, which is also a challenge because I don't want to be a part of the story. I don't want to be a part of this documentary. And, um, you know, every time like Atticus and I were just and they do four live shows a year in front of a live audience. And Atticus and I were just in our first. Um, I've covered a couple of them. I've, I've shot a couple of them uh, as far as footage for the actual organizations because uh, Mary's husband, you know, makes DVDs for people that are interested so i've done some of that in the last uh, last few but i've never actually participated and been an assistant and actually come out and acted and same with atticus and we got to do that just this last saturday and and mike documented all of it and i'm always on the edge of the i actually fell off the stage because i'm always trying to i'm mindfully trying to be on the far edge so that mike can get the whole everyone on stage except for me because i don't want i want it to be about atticus and I love the, the the story of you know this dad finding this place and bringing his then four year old kid and him growing up and and getting closer and more involved each week. I think that's, but I don't want to be in it as much. So I'm on the edge, and uh, it's just one more of the challenges is trying to figure out a way to tell the story without having my dumb face, you know, like and then I did this and that because that's not what I'm after at all. So many challenges. Okay, now let's get to cinematics before we get to our featured films. By the way. Props to Eric Holmes for actually checking out Padre Pio. I'm I'm Catholic. Oh. I didn't even get to Padre Pio. Oh. Oh, oh, did you get to Padre Pio, Anderson? I don't know, but I know Eric. Has. I got the I got the link, and I just saw the poster, and I and I'm like uh, I can't. I just can't uh, do you, it. You just can't do it. We're gonna get to that you in a second, Eric Holmes. But first, before we get to Padre Pio, Anderson, do you have any for the cinematics listeners any kind of movie recommendations for them to watch this weekend? This week. Uh, yeah, I think that I don't know how many of us saw Lynch Oz, but did you guys? Get a chance to watch Lynch Oz. Oh, we're yes. going to definitely get to that as, as one of our featured. But as okay, far good. as like uh, my bad uh, movies that you've seen the last couple of weeks uh, over at the film vault, something or, or just watch that you really loved or reviewed that nothing, nothing really jumps up. At, you know, nothing. No, than- I mean, as far as like new stuff. No, uh, I'd like to give a shout to a documentary that I watched called This Mountain Life. But it's tw- it's from 2020, but it's from filmmaker Grant Baldwin, who is kind of. In our bubble, he's a, a, a listener of the Film Vault. He actually, the, the opening soundtrack that we have, the theme, the Film Vault theme that we use to open every show and close every show uh, was gifted to us by Grant Baldwin. He's a filmmaker. He made a movie called Just Eat It, which was all about a couple himself included eating uh, nothing but expired food for a year just to show how much, how wasteful we are as as a people. Uh, and his most recent one is This Mountain Life. And it's all about... Um, uh, it's vignettes of, of different people who live in the mountains in between Alaska and Vancouver. Um, it's that whole stretch of Western um, mountain range uh, in, in Canada. And it's breathtaking. And I'm not just saying that because I, I know this guy and he's a part of the program. The Mountain Life, it's streaming on Prime. It's an amazing movie and it's scary when you watch a movie that's this good. And it doesn't have any Rotten Tomato critics uh, view uh, score. Uh it didn't have, you know, the PR that it should have had behind it. It's an amazing movie. And it's I, I I watched it and I went and picked Atticus up from school and showed him like three different scenes. And he was blown away as a six year old. I mean, this movie's fantastic. Uh, and the through line is this mom and uh, she's like 60 something. And her daughter um, decided to walk from Vancouver to Skagway, Alaska. It takes them six months. And that's the through line. We keep going back to that story where they are along the path. Grant Baldwin, the filmmaker, he sent them off with some GoPros and he caught up with them at some points and shot some of the, some of the stuff they were doing. But a lot of the stuff they 
documented on their own. And then throughout the documentary, you also meet uh, this covenant, the, the, these nuns uh, that are that just have a, a a church in the middle of nowhere. You have to like walk in and out of. They cover this other guy who lives out there, and it takes him eight hours to walk into town, but he has a, 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 one of the most fulfilled lives I've ever seen. Uh, a snow artist. It opens up with a snow artist who takes uh, eight to twelve hours walking around in the snow, and then it pulls back with a. Just watch the open of this mountain life, if nothing else. It shows him up close. It shows him doing his thing. He's talking about how how long it takes him and how he walks the equivalent of a, a marathon. And then a drone shot pulls back, and we see the the fruits of his labor. And it's this beautiful, massive. It's probably like almost a mile in diameter snowflake. That's it's gorgeous. It's this mountain life is a, a fantastic movie that criminally overlooked. Okay, that's, that's kind of cool though because it's like a it's like a type of art that doesn't doesn't you can't really appreciate without uh without technology. Like, like you right. could have done that before drones, but without drones, like it would just been like in his mind, it'd been like, Oh, this is a cool piece of art, but no one else would. I guess it. you'd have to like pick a clear day and find a flight path and just hope that like, yeah. you know, unsuspecting uh, passengers on like a Southwest flight would fly over it and like, look down and see, you know, see his work. Yeah. But you're right. He can't even appreciate it unless he gets a giant ladder. Exactly. Okay, streaming on Prime Video. We definitely thank you, Anderson, for that recommendation. Speaking of, you got definitely need to see this movie. This segment will be anchored by Eric Holmes, the sole watcher of Abel director Abel Ferrara's Padre Pio. This movie, Padre Pio, Shia LaBeouf as Padre Pio. It's set post World War II Italy, and it centers on Padre Pio follows the young priest as he begins his ministry at a remote. Capuchin Monastery in Italy's San Giovanni Rotondo. So it's it, it's a post World War II film, and Shia LaBeouf as is in real life the Padre Pio. It's directed by Abel Ferrara. Before and and, and I was going to get to you, Eric, in a second, but let's get to Bruce's. Bruce is here. Bruce Perky, by the way, is here in spirit. He is uh, out and about, and we miss you, Bruce Perky. Here is what Bruce Perky had to say about Padre Pio, which I'm hoping Eric Holmes kind of loves. But anyways. Quote unquote from B- Bruce Perky. He says, Abel Ferrara is on a real streak of terrible movies. <laughs> he did not like Padre Pio. And I'm not going to read the rest of the review. He's giving it one out of five. He says, the movie looks terrible. Video quality is out of a shaky iPhone 6. Oh my goodness. And he said, basically, this movie is a total woof and is, yeah, and it's insufferable and, Wow, this very a lot of bad things, and Eric Holmes like is going to come to save the day and throw some really wonderful world words about Padre Pio. Am I right on this, Eric Holmes? I was not prepared for this. Let me write a couple words real quick. Um, I want to love Abel Ferrara. I he makes it very hard to enjoy his movies. Um, this one, what did you say, Eric? I can't. Better than I, I, I said Abel Ferrara is the greatest filmmaker ever, oh, and I love be, every Pod, one of his movies a hundred thousand percent. Padre Pio is better than King of New York. What? Hello, hello. Even that it's, movie, it's like, even his good movies are hard to get through. Right? Like, you got <laughs> to yeah, admit yeah. that. Like the yeah. funerals, a great movie, great great cast, hard to get through. Yeah. Oh, Miss yeah. Forty Five is easy to get through. That that thing was breeze. I love that. I love that one, Eric. But um, he, even like uh, uh, was it ones and zeros, zeros and ones. Like it, it felt like uh, Abel Ferrara was trolling the audience, and it feels like that here too. Um, basically, a bunch of people come, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, 
soldiers come back from World War One. Some of them do, some of them don't. Some of them come back in pieces. World War Two, post World uh, War Two. World War One has ended. This is oh. like on the cusp of World War Two. Um, oh, on the cusp. Okay. It, as, as far as I'm, as far as I'm aware, anyway. Well, that's what it says on the IMDb page right here as well. So, yeah, interesting. It okay. Doesn't matter. They came back from a war, um, oh. and the people in the area are trying to get their first free election. So there's like a uprising kind of happening. Um, not like right. a vi- violent one, but like a political one. And uh, every once in a while, they cut the Shia LaBeouf who plays Padre Pio and he's uh, having visions. I assume of Satan maybe um, and freaking out. And then they cut back to the, the, you know, people doing the, you know, doing the political stuff that all that stuff's pretty interesting for the most part. Every time they cut to Shia LaBeouf, 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 uh, he's, uh, every time they cut to the booth, um, he's just kind of freaking out. And I don't know. It's called Padre Pio. He plays Padre Pio, but every time they cut to him, my thought is, why is he part of this movie? This is like the least interesting part of the movie. Wow. Um, and my bad, post World War One, Eric. My fault. That's post World War One. You're right. Yeah. So the best I can come up with this, and this is me being very generous to the movie, is that uh, it shows that because Padre Pio is supposed to be the saint that does these great things, and he just sits on the sidelines while the people of the area are doing the doing the work, trying to make this thing happen. And he's just freaking out, like, uh, say God is Lord, say, you know, freaking out and seeing visions and stuff and ultimately doing nothing. Um, maybe it's a comment on religious religion just being useless. Um, but Abel Ferrara, I, I don't think he's an atheist. So he's maybe not. not. Mm, uh, he's, and he's, last I heard, he's devout. Yeah. So that, that read doesn't make sense. So I have no idea. Did okay, you know I, that Shia, La, Shia LaBeouf actually uh, converted to Catholicism during the, the, the making of this movie? Yeah, I read that. That was kind of lame, but whatever. Yeah, it just it, <laughs> it, it gives more fuel to that fire that he actually did go out and shoot stray dogs to uh, prep for some stupid role that he was doing. I mean, I, I appreciate the man's commitment and finally down his tooth for that role in Fury, but I draw a line with killing innocent animals for your craft, so uh, he can still go fuck himself and... Uh, that coupled with you know Abel Ferrara's uh, easiest movie to consume for me anyways continues to be Bad Lieutenant. Uh, coupled with in concert with this this horrific man in Shia LaBeouf, I I will forever ban this movie. Thanks yeah, for taking uh, one for the team though. Hey, yeah, it, it it hurt me, got me right in the kidneys, but uh, you know I, is I, it, I made it through. <laughs> is it one of these movies more of just like him kind of wandering around uh, a lot a lot of like by himself in dark rooms? Well, he's definitely in a dark room, and whenever he starts freaking out, like another friar or brother or whatever, they come in, call him, like come in and kind of, kind of calm him down. So it seems like he's in like some sort of uh, like a, not a suicide watch, but something similar to to that. Where like, oh, Padre Pio, he's freaking out. We gotta we gotta be right outside the door in case it gets real bad. Um, but ultimately, his character is kind of useless in this story. Um, I mean, they wrote him into the story, so maybe he's got a point that I'm just missing, but I got nothing out of his character. All the interesting stuff was all the political intrigue that was going on outside. Surrounded, yeah. It's frustrating. But you ever see a movie where something interesting is going on? Signs. Oh, uh, Tetris. 
Tetris, all the interesting stuff is happening, but then when they cut to the subplot, it's like, why are we here? Get past the scene like two, yeah. two minutes I ago. Felt, I felt this. I like signs a lot, uh, Shiloh, uh, Shiloh, uh, M. M. Night Shyamalan's, but uh, it, there's something very frustrating about like all of the crazy stuff's happening outside the uh, the pantry, and they're stuck in the pantry. You know what I mean? That kind of I know that's yeah. the point of the movie, but it, I had the same kind of frustration, which sounds like you had with uh, Padre Pio. There's also a documentary, a one-hour documentary. I don't know if it's available anywhere, but uh, there's a one-hour documentary that no one has seen yet. Uh, it looks like from the ratings, the lack of ratings on IMDb, but it's called Padre Pio, and it's, it documents and examines the controversial life of the iconic Italian saint Padre Pio. It was it, interesting for me, Eric, as you said, even let's say, let's just say, oh, look, I'm Catholic, right? Look, are you saying it doesn't even track if you're a Catholic, Eric? That's even the lowest kind of rating you could give it. Me, wow. you know what I'm saying? It's this movie should be tailored. Anderson was talking about Abel being devout, right? So. Even Catholics. Last I heard, it's been a few years. Maybe he's okay. Um, I I can't say I'm an atheist, so like my my I'm not even in that world. So maybe uh, uh, maybe as a Catholic, if you watch it, you'll get something different from it because there's certain uh movies that people watch where a character is like you know really introspective or really feeling emotional about a religious thing. When I watch that, I just kind of roll my eyes and kind of mm-hmm. a lot of times get discussed about it. But if you're religious and you watch that, maybe that's going to hit you hard. So I, I couldn't tell you. Can I ask I you this? Okay. Uh, this document, I don't know anything about Padre Pio. I'm not, I'm not well versed in any of this stuff, but it, it calls him a controversial, uh, iconic Italian saint. Do you pick up on why he's controversial in this movie or is it just LaBeouf kind of freaking out? No, uh, his character's got very little anything to do. With cool. anything oh <laughs> I, I, ha- I have no i have no idea why he's the titular character in this um yeah hmm. interesting I, I, right. it, it's about a it's about a political uprising with padre pio thrown in the middle for reasons i can't quite explain i um, would it, imagine it, it maybe makes a smarter sense. reviewer could but i cannot yeah you get that feeling especially with abel ferrara you get a, you get a, right kind of like we were talking about with kurosawa greg a little bit like there, a mm-hmm. lot goes with the name and I mean, my favorite thing that Kurosawa has ever done, I think, still is his quote about uh, Bad Lieutenant and uh, Werner Herzog, Werner Herzog's uh, Bad Lieutenant, and uh, how anyone who remakes a movie, especially one of his, should just rot in hell for eternity. Like he's furious with the idea of any kind of remake, and I, I appreciate that kind of that kind of candor and uh, passion for a, a stance. So, yeah, okay, so that is it. You know, Bruce Berkey gave it one out of five stars. Are you going to match that rating, Eric Holmes, for Padre Pio? No, I'm going to give it a little higher just because I appreciate Abel Ferrara. It, there it from is. From my perspective, he's trolling the audience, even though he's probably being sincere about it. But uh, that's that's like all I got to hang on to. What um, if this was made by Joe Mackey? Joe Mackey? Uh, five yeah. stars. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I'm saying is like somebody you've never heard of, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know who Joe Ma- I just made that name up. Like, what if it was made by nobody? Like, it didn't have I, the I, Abel Ferrara cloud. Probably cloud. about the same. Probably about that. Maybe, maybe a little bit higher because I, uh, Abel Ferrara, like certain directors like him, I have higher hopes for. So I put him on a higher, uh, like Abel Ferrara has made five star movies. Miss 45 is one of them. King of New York. So he, yeah so he's on he's on a higher plane than most people so when he falls below that it falls like way below that so i'd probably be two stars on this and the extra stars just for the trolling which i put into the movie and i don't think he did okay (laughs) all right two stars from eric holmes one star from bruce perky for padre pio out in select theaters june 2nd now anderson earlier in the episode mentioned a movie 
documentary. Is it a documentary? It's more of like a visual essay film called Lynch Oz. It's available, actually opens only at New York's IFC Center on Friday, June 2nd. It's directed by Alexander or Alexandre? Alexander O. Philippe. Philippe or Philippe. He also did Hitchcock 7852, Hitchcock's shower scene, which I haven't seen, but this movie is Lynch Oz and it centers on. He, he also did Memory, uh, an origin story, uh, the uh, alien or, origin story, which was phenomenal. It was fantastic. Really? And Leap very, of very good. Well, and Freaking on The Exorcist. Oh, okay. Okay. And did you like that as well? A leap of Faith, William Friedkin on The Exorcist, Eric Combs? I like any anytime you put William Friedkin in front of a camera or behind a camera, I'm in. Okay. So speaking of which, Lynch Oz is basically maybe six or seven or maybe six visual essays narrated by different filmmakers or cinephiles talking about the link between David Lynch's work and The Wizard of Oz. That is the premise of this doc. And it says here on, on Rolling Stone said, hey, this is a movie for film nerds and cinephiles, people who love David Lynch and as well as The Wizard of Oz. Anderson, is it a, that much of a selective kind of audience who will love Lynch Oz? Or do you think this movie has a broader scope? Is this a pretty much broad appeal recommendation for you? That's an interesting question, and I think that you don't have to be a Lynch fan. However, I don't think there's a. I think that the uh, overlap of of people who are, are cinephiles and Lynch fans is pretty wide, right? I don't think there's many people that consider themselves cinephiles and don't like David Lynch. But you could get through this movie without having an appreciation for Lynch for sure if you just love movies in general. With the language that's spoken here, the uh, very uh, intelligent conversations that are had and the links that are made that most of us miss. Uh, this is also from the director that made The People versus uh, George Lucas, which I loved, and I think that has much more broad appeal. But this one is definitely geared towards uh, cinephiles, I would say. Would you guys agree with that? Yes. 100%. 100%. Like, my mom would hate this movie. Jillian would absolutely despise this movie. My buddy Brian Bishop. Yes, I said buddy. Uh, he probably would not get a lot from this movie. Really? No, no, Brian Bishop. He would he would have got he'd get more of it from it today than he would have said ten years ago. Ten years ago, he wouldn't be able to get through the you know the open. By the way, if you do end up watching this in a few weeks when it starts streaming, and I I recommend it to anyone who, like I said, is a cinephile, don't be afraid of the first. And once it gets through the credits with all the the weird uh, curtains in the background, and then we see the actual director standing on the stage, completely unnecessary, and it scared me to the point that I I was looking for the remote. I was about to turn it off. It looked so bad, so cheesy. But then it gets into the room two thirty seven uh, territory, which is which is glorious, right? Where it's just clips from the movies for the most part, and from various movies, and uh, voiceover from these very intelligent filmmakers and cinephiles uh, linking uh, Lynch to Oz. Here is Bruce Perky's take, and we're going to get to your take, Eric Holmes, in a second. Bruce Perky said on Lynch Oz, quote, I was struck by the love for Lynch by directors like John Waters, Karen Kusama, Benson and Moorhead, David Lowry. Also, if you tapped out of Twin Peaks to return before episode eight, go watch that one. And he so he basically really enjoyed this documentary. Eric Holmes, your thoughts on Lynch Oz? I mean, the, it's weird to critique this movie because the movie is a critique on David Lynch's uh, movie uh, filmography by way of Wizard of Oz. Uh, some of the stuff I thought was kind of weird was when uh, someone made a point was connecting the Wizard of Oz movie to uh, Elephant Drive. Man. No, oh. it's specifically Elephant Man and Dune. 
Dune had this and Elephant Man had this, which was a direct uh, link to David Lynch's direct link to Wizard of Oz. And like, well, first of all, uh, Elephant Man and Dune are both adaptations, which Wizard well, of Oz is also an adaptation. So but like, he was drawn to it, Eric. He was drawn to it for those reasons, perhaps. Well, yeah, but though- the, the, the points they picked up on were story beats, not not stylistic choices, which I thought was kind of strange. Um, it, it's kind of like a, a like the Wizard of Oz did not invent the hero's journey. Well, yeah, that's while you're there. That's something that occurred to me, and it probably occurred to you as well. It sounds like that, like if you if you try, you can attribute almost anything you've ever, any story you've ever heard or read or seen, can be attributed back to Wizard of Oz because it is so broad and it's just a, a coming of age, a fish out of water. Like every single story you see, the only thing that's lacking is romance. Really, like yeah, that's the only thing that that movie is uh, Wizard of Oz is lacking. It has everything else in there. They they use green in this shot, which was invented by the <laughs> Wizard of Oz. I'm like, no, it was not. <laughs> but um, that all all that kind of weirdness aside, you know, it was it was kind of fun because I love David Lynch. I love the Wizard of Oz movie, um, and it was fun kind of watching different filmmakers and artists kind of pick it apart and kind of hit. A, I don't know how they set it up. I assume it was, hey, here's a thesis, run with it, and then they just kind of talk about it. Um, you know, it was it was interesting to hear kind of their takes on certain things, and everyone had different takes. I think my favorite was John Waters, just because John, his movies are hit and miss with me, but his interviews are a hundred best with me because I fucking love. Uh, sorry, family. Show. No, 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 no. It's family. I, 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 He's I, the I, best. I, I love listening to John Waters, and then Dave <laughs> Lowry at the end uh, was uh, a little kind of up his own but sometimes but you know he he had some he had some pretty good points so is karen karen kusama uh, who directed uh uh the invitation which everyone was like freaking out about like, six, I, like uh, years ago. how dare you i'm cutting that at anderson i love karen people, people were freaking out dare. about that well was, she, she did, was uh, too scholarly anderson she's too. doing yellow jack yellow jackets right now and uh, which i have not seen but yeah I mean, she was very she you could tell that she did not smile. I don't know how long she sat down behind a microphone. I would guess like four or five hours. I don't think she once broke a smile. I mean, she was in it, and Jennifer it seemed a, a little, a little pretentious. Movie. That was my favorite essay out of all of them. That is, that's why I love you, man. You, you and I completely disagree on so many things. Kusama said yes, and yes, you're correct. And Kusama, mm-hmm. by the way directed one of in the last 20 years uh most underrated films destroyer which anderson does not uh, appreciate i've not seen, I have not oh, seen you've it not seen. did you see I destroyer eric holmes did I you did see destroy oh, no there you guys both i wanted to at the time i wanted to see uh, i just nicole recently kidman. started liking nicole kidman for the longest time i hated her and those amc remember. ads finally got finally penetrated you huh I, I think it was when i finally watched eyes wide shut i'm like she's kind of good i kind of like yeah. her and then uh, i, I kind of started reappraising uh uh her but yeah you know so i haven't I have an interesting thing with Lynn Jaws. I grew, Anderson knows this during the 90s and I, a, through a lot of parts of the early aughts, I, in, I got to interview David Lynch over a couple, couple of times just for, from covering movies like Inland Empire. He actually, Anderson, he actually set, if, if I recall, the press junket over at the Marie Calendars right across the street from the E building. Right? I, I used to go there. there. Yeah. I have had, I've had lunch there with uh, both Dr. Drew and Joel McHale. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good spot. It's like central to everything. Yeah. So when Marie calendars were still there, he pie pie place. Did Lynch, he have pie? Yeah, he had pie for us. And then we did the, the Inland <laughs> Empire. And obviously, I was one of the only people who loved that movie. I know Eric Holmes, you are you are a devotee of that Inland yes. Empire. I know you love that movie uh. so much. But but here's a good thing. I I like Lynch. I don't love him as much as a lot of people. 
I've, I've experienced his movies. I enjoy him. But I think Lynch Oz will also appeal to people who have seen and appreciated Lynch. And maybe they're not as big a fan as like maybe Anderson Cowan or or Bruce Perky or Eric Holmes. It will act. It actually gave me some value added as far as how to interpret and yes. look at his films. 100 percent. Yeah, so the idea that a lot of his stuff comes from the Wizard of Oz, and even though Lowry might have been up his own little, you know what, at the towards the end on his essay, I think, and I was feeling the same way, Eric. What Lowry's saying is, even from you know filmmakers with whatever they're putting out today, usually is influenced by a lot of images that they had as a child or as a kid. Same thing with you Lynch's find your own. wheelhouse. You find, you find your wheelhouse. Yeah. yeah, right, right. Like with uh, Anderson for me, for him, a lot of probably some of a lot of it is, I, I don't know, why well, he's very inf- influenced by Butcher Boy. I know that. I mean, when he was a, a youth. But anyways, Lynch House for me really yeah. works. Um, I'm giving it uh, four and a half out of five. Bruce gave it four and a half out of five. Anderson, your rating on Lynch House. Final thoughts, maybe. Uh, yeah, four point five out of five is very fair, and I, I I tend to agree. Four people that will respond to something like this, not my mom. My mom would not uh, enjoy this at all. But I think you're absolutely right. To I think it's kind of genius, and I would I would guess that this because Rodney Asher is one of he has chapter two, and he is the one who uh, directed Room Two Thirty Seven, right? Which yeah. is a f- way farther out there uh, look at. The Shining, which it's it's the same structure as this, where they have these different film. I think they do popcorn around, though. It's not just chapter by chapter. So this one's a little bit more structured. Uh, if I recall, I, I, I love Room 237. I saw it twice, but it's like five crazy people's take, very smart crazy people's take on Room 237. I mean, on, on The Shining and what Kubrick was actually trying to say with that property. And I love that movie. And it's completely bonkers and zany. One woman thinks that it's all about minotaurs. And it's just it's insane. Uh, Rodney Asher, I don't think it's any mistake that he's also one of, has one of the chapters here as a filmmaker. So I would guess that that's where the germ of the idea for this one came. And to take somebody who is, and I'm not a giant Lynch fan. I, I have not even seen all of his TV. I've not seen all of Twin Peaks or the, the, the coming back. I've seen all of his movies, but I've not seen all of his TV. Uh, and if I was a giant, giant fan, I would have done that by now, but. It's very hard to access, and uh, I think that it's really kind of genius to take something as accessible as uh, as Wizard of Oz that every single kid has seen, every single person has seen throughout their lives multiple times. You can talk off the top of most people's heads that can give you the story beats, and to try and boil David Lynch's entire filmography down to it's just interpreting uh, Wizard of Oz in different ways is genius, Uh, and it definitely helped me appreciate and kind of understand. And, you know, it's it's everything from the story itself with the Wizard of Oz, where, you know, he's obsessed with the fish out of water and, you know, small towns to big towns and what the world it's a metaphor for, like, what is life all about once you become an adult? And it's just like, none of us know what's going on or why we're on this spinning little dust plant. To also him responding to, I, you know, as a child going, oh, there is a wizard who creates these things, and he's behind the curtain I could be that, right? So there's definitely that where he responded to the idea of putting forth these images that are not true. Uh, and and you get the sense with Lynch that he's not trying to make stuff to be zany. He can't help but be zany and he can't help but create. And that's why I respect and uh, and will continue to you know like David Lynch quite a bit is because he's not you see a lot of filmmakers and people who do stuff just to be quirky or zany, and you don't get that sense from him. No, there's a there's a reason behind it. Yeah, very very cool. Um, your rating, final thoughts, Eric Holmes. Uh, for me, this is a three banger. Uh, mm. For for uh, cinephiles, uh, this is catnip. Uh, for non cinephiles, I don't know how much they're gonna get uh, value added. Okay. They're gonna get out of it. 
But if you're a fan of David Lynch or you're a fan of uh, Wizard of Oz or you're just a fan of film criticism in general and you like to see how people kind of break down other people's ideas, this is really great. If you're not, you're just going to kind of cross your arms going, oh, I think I saw that movie maybe and I don't care. Um, that's just kind of my thoughts on it. Uh, for me personally, the, I would be right up there with four and a half from for you guys. But I think for like the general audience, it all falls on how much you're interested in just cinema in general. Now you got to go with your own personal though, Eric, because people like yeah. get to know like what you like. And then they, they know if, and then if they see this like on, in print or like on the website or something, they're like, Oh, Eric didn't like it. <laughs> well, that, that that's why I created three bangers. I'm working for everyone. I'm playing on both sides of the see, fence. Cause I'm a coward. Yeah. Favorite, <laughs> favorite, favorite David Lynch movie for me, either one of you guys, both uh, of you guys inland empire. Wow. It, 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 it's so and i've and anderson i heard you guys talking on uh film ball uh this week and i totally get why you don't like in the inland empire but it's just it's just right up the alley of my my kind of crazy mm-hmm. and i i just dig it for that re- that reason alone I, I love straight story the ending makes me cry so really it's a That's very a good one. yeah yeah yes yeah. so, what about you anderson what was that wild at heart without wild, a doubt yeah of I've course probably of course. 10 times god it's of good course. that was Chill. back where like anything that lynch made i would i would go see uh, that yeah, was that's true. yeah that sherilyn fenn moment was uh amazing but look uh final final uh what was your rating in for was that four and a half for you four and a half in, yeah four and a half for four and a half for uh yeah four and a half from for anderson that's it we're done with this episode for cinematic really? oh can i can i sneak in here though guys yeah definitely say i screwed up because i thought that i talked to you guys since uh blackberry had been released but i have not and i just want to continue to say Blackberry is the best movie of the year so far. I absolutely love Blackberry. I know you guys agree. And uh, if you have not had a chance to see Blackberry and you're listening to this, I take this as another reminder to make sure you track down Blackberry. Okay. Yeah. Any? Oh, yes, Sarah Combs. Yes, sir. Oh, I, I, I was just gonna say I agree. It's great. You agree. You, <laughs> I was gonna add nothing to it, but that. Okay, and you know, don't, Bruce don't Bur- be, don't be sassy. Don't yeah, be sassy. sassy Bruce Porky, we miss you. Uh, I don't have any final thoughts, so we're we're gonna end episode one hundred ninety two with Anderson Cowan final uh, lead Wait, us what, out. What's what's going on this week, though, guys? Any other movies you can uh, you know like uh, flag or like suggest? I mean, obviously, I already have my tickets for uh, Spider Man into the Spider Verse across the yeah, Spider Verse. Very excited. Sp- I'm excited for that, and I I just know I, I I'm an empty vessel. I empty vessel. Very sad. Uh, yeah, see, what about yeah, the boogeyman yeah. i thought you guys were gonna talk about the boogeyman uh, with my boy dave dasmalchian i love the short story and i saw the trailer and it looks like they made some changes from the short story but the, the changes, boogeyman but, but according I, I haven't seen the movie but according to the tra- trailer it looks like the changes they made from the short story might be kind of interesting good changes so i'm the really boogeyman you're talking about yeah yeah the short stories. The creep the hell out of me and so I've, I've always been waiting for someone to do an adaptation of it they, they've they had like bad fan film versions on youtube but uh i don't they, know anything they, about this tell, tell me more can you tell me more before we go here i i, I don't all i see is a title i i see the director who i'm not familiar with and i see the so David motion the short story is about uh, a husband and wife they move in they have a little baby and the you know baby grows up becomes a toddler kid whatever and the uh kid was uh complaining about a monster in the closet and the dad's like a real kind of, you know, a-hole. Man's man, like, yeah. You, you got to be a man. You got to sleep in your own bed and screw you. And then the, the boogeyman. That's the way to go ki- about kill- being a parent. That's good. Well, the boogeyman kills the baby. Mm. And then so uh, they have another, you know, years later, they have another kid. And the other kid uh, complains about the same thing. Mm. 
And he's like, oh, pull yourself by the bootstraps and be a man, blah, blah, blah. Boogeyman kills that kid, too. And at this point, like the 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 mom and the dad kind of have their relationship kind of is in dire straits, that sort of thing. Uh, they end up moving. And then there's this, there's, oh, in the short story, there's this whole description of the boogeyman, like slinking through the sewers, like stalking them, trying to find <laughs> that family. And then the third kid comes up and he's complaining about the boogeyman. Now the dad's taking it seriously. And, um, you know, uh, he hears the kid crying, screaming, dad, help me. And he runs up to the door and he doesn't go in the door right away. The dad's afraid of what he's going to walk into. Mm. And he becomes a coward, like right at the last second. It's like, oh nice. my God, this is so damn good. This is so good. Um, and the whole story is basically a flashback because he's talking to a, he's talking a to shrink. A, a shrink the whole time. And there's a twist at the end of the story. I'm not going to give it away in case you've already spoiled everything. If they do, no, do no, I didn't. Yeah, no, I did kinda, not. Kind of no, have. Is this like a metaphor for child abuse? You think? Uh, that there's a little bit of that. Is it's more of a character piece, at least in the short story. And the twist in the short story is really great. And I didn't even touch on that. But I don't know if they're going to use that in the movie or not. But the based on the trailer, it looks like they made a couple changes. But the changes they took. Looks like they're taking the basic idea and kind of just going in different directions with it, not uh, not changing it, you know, for the sake of changing things. Are they changing I, it for the sake of making a more broad audience acceptable type thing? No, it's it, uh, it, and again, this is based on the trailer, but it seems like whoever wrote the script probably was inspired and had an idea like, hey, I like this. I want to go this direction in this and see what I come up with as opposed to, well, the uh, numbers have shown that blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, that it, it, it looks more like an artistic change as opposed to a, uh, we need to change it just because to get a bigger audience or whatever. Okay. That's encouraging. Did, and did you see host that he made during COVID that uh, people apparently liked a lot? I saw the host with the monster, the monster movie. I don't think I saw it. It's like a social media about. movie where like, it's, it looks like it was all shot really. It, it's got 34,000 uh, reviews on IMDb. And I, oh, no, it, no, I haven't okay, a 2020 release. All right. Um, well, great. Thanks. And Greg, thanks for trying to keep it uh, brisk and, and moving. And I'm the one who's slowing it down. I just love talking to you guys. So oh, uh, apologies here. for that. And yeah, thank you very much for having me on the show. I will see you guys next week. I like your sticker there, Eric. It's very good on your next your... week. We're, we're going to see you next, next week. Next week. Next no, month. We, Sorry, next was, month. Yes. We, uh, CCP. Oh, Cold Cockle Productions. Love that. Mike, Eric Holmes. Putin. I, Eric, I love uh, Russia so much. I got Putin ruined my logo. <laughs> yeah. Ruined my so, production company logo. Yeah. So anyways, we will see you guys next month with big news from Anderson Cowan regarding a lot of things. I, I, so it's been... I, uh, that's all I'm going to say. Big news next yeah. month regarding Cinematics, Patreon, Anderson Callum, Life, the Universe, everything, Eric Holmes, Bruce Porky, back. And I'm going to stop talking. See you guys next week here on Cinematics. Bye, guys.